Well, good morning, Rick. It happens to be October 31st when we're recording this, but it feels like it might be December 31st. It is a winter wonderland it's out crazy. there this morning. I have not raked a leaf yet <laughs> in my yard. I've got a blanket of leaves underneath a blanket of snow. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, maybe you won't need to now. Maybe you got away with it. Maybe I'm fall. off the hook. Yeah. I'll just make my son rake them in the spring. <laughs> I'll enjoy that. Something this is why we have kids, to. right? For yard work. <laughs> well, enjoy it now. Mine have all grown and left home. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I've only got them for one more year. So we'll make the most of that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Hope everybody's enjoying the snow. And uh, it's just feel it's beautiful. It just feels a little early. It does. Another thing that feels like it's going by a little faster than we're ready for is we're already on the the second to last week of this Dear Church series. That's right. One more one more installment to go, and we will wrap it up and move on to what comes next. For those of you who are here and a part of Autumn Ridge Church, we're excited what's going to be coming up later in the month of November. It's uh, Love is the Agenda. It's our big emphasis where we uh, showcase our ministry partnerships and really uh, continue to rally as a church around um, advancing the mission locally and globally, and mm-hmm. I, I hope people are looking forward to that. I love it. Mm-hmm. been looking forward to this. I think it'll be wonderful. It's so great to focus on what God's doing yeah. in and around our community and our world, and I love getting to be part of that. But let's focus on this church, or on, on this church. On, well, yeah, let's focus on this church okay. today. All right. um, and a lot of people, I think, are focusing on our church right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will talk about the message that you preached this last weekend on the letter to the church in Philadelphia. But I'd like to go backwards a week and spend some time first talking a little bit more about the letter to the church in Sardis, Mm -hmm. uh, because we got an unprecedented number of questions that came in in the last week, um, asking us to go a little bit deeper into the topic of a church being dead or alive. Mm -hmm. You had the unexpected message from each week. Um, From last week, there was the message that a church could be, and I'm I'm not going to get it correct. It's basically everybody but Jesus can be be convinced that a church is alive and well. Yeah. And, it, and that's unsettling, isn't it? It is unsettling. Yeah. And I think a number of groups um, spent some healthy time in discussion mm-hmm. um, being rather reflective about yeah. that, of how would we know then if a church is alive or dead? What are the warning signs of the health of a church and uh, and a number of things? So I'd love to just take some time to work through some of these questions mm-hmm. and discuss that topic a little bit further. So as we're talking, let me just give everybody a filter to think through it. Yeah. It's, that's totally understandable. Um, what I would say is don't look for signs of death, look for signs of life. That's what you need to look for. Okay. What are the signs of life? What are the, what are the markers of health? And look for, look for that. Um, I like that. So what are some so signs like when of you're, life? Like, you know, if you are trying to understand the difference between what's authentic and what's counterfeit, you don't learn all the marks of everything that's counterfeit. You learn how to, dis- how to identify what is authentic, mm-hmm. like what's authentic currency. And so what you've got, what are, what are the signs of life? Um, repentance, love for Jesus, love for others, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, it, part of the, part of the sign, part of the, part of the sign of life is, you know, the apostle Paul, I think is awesome. And, and, and ro- read, spend some time reading Romans chapter seven, Romans, Romans chapter eight. The apostle Paul talked about, 
you know, I've jokingly called it, it feels like Dr. Seuss on crack. He kind of goes back <laughs> and forth in Romans 7, the thing I don't want to do, I do the thing that I do want to do, I don't do the thing that I hate, I do the thing that I love, I don't. He's just kind of going back and forth. Who's going to save me from this law of sin and death? It, it prays me to God. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's like talking in the present tense. I am a sinner. Mm-hmm. All the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. How do I get out of this? And then he pivots into Romans chapter 8, and he talks about how the 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 Spirit of God testifies to us that 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 there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and that's that's real kind of like legal terminology that he's that he's using there um, and he goes on to talk about how um, those who God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And I really think the heart of what that verse is like, I know it's weird. We're supposed to be talking about revelation. I'm jumping back to Romans, but hang with me. But the heart of what that verse is about isn't, isn't who will be saved, but who the saved will be like. Like if you trust in Christ, if you are in Christ, God, the father has a plan he has just predecided that he is going to be working in your life to help you become more conformed mm. to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I read something this morning. It might even show up in in the sermon uh, next this coming weekend, the, the final installment. I think it was Elizabeth Elliot who said, "God will never protect you from anything that'll make you more like Jesus." Mm. And so God is he's he is invested wow, in you, right? Yeah. And then Paul ends Romans chapter eight talking about there is nothing. He lists all of these major things. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, mm-hmm. right? And so people look for people who are about that, right? But if you see people they don't repent, they don't seem to be wrestling or bothered over their sin, they're super contented in their self-reliance and in their own way and not um, not in love with the things of Christ, not not it just doesn't don't, they don't appear to be following him. They're going through the motions, but they don't look like they're following Jesus. That's a sign of concern, mm-hmm. right? So do you love Jesus? Do you know that he loves you? Do you feel convicted over your sin? Are you repentant? Are you following him? Are you are you wanting to live for his purpose? I mean, is your are your heart is your heart warm to the things of Jesus? Is there fruit in your life? Do you see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control, blossoming in your life? Those are signs of the work of the Holy Spirit. Those aren't things that we gut out. That is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer. Do you see that? If you see that, be encouraged. One of my favorite pastors ever, if you know me, this is not a surprise, was a man named Tim Keller. And he's like, like if you're feeling conflicted over this and you're like, if you feel bothered over your sin, that is a sign of the Holy Spirit in you, yeah. at work in you. That is a sign that you are a child of the King. Be encouraged. Mm-hmm. The people that I'm concerned about are the people who aren't concerned about this at all. They're just like, whatever. That's that. That's what I would be concerned about. But if you're like, oh, how would I know? Oh, you're you're leaning in. <laughs> that is a, that's a evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. But I would just want to encourage you: focus more on the signs of life. Don't don't focus on the signs of death. Focus on the signs of life, because you want to. That's what you want. So that's helpful. Okay. Now, a lot of the answer that you just gave was uh, really kind of speaking to us as individuals. Should we understand Jesus's message here as? Uh, the church being a collection of individuals and our individual spiritual health, mm-hmm. or is this the the body of believers of more of an institutional health? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So we need to think of this individually, but we also need to think of it collectively. And it seems as though the major warning sign is you've left the job unfinished. You've stopped doing the work. Mm-hmm. And this church uh, in Sardis, they stopped. Mm-hmm. They just stopped. Like, have you ever? Like, have you ever? Have you ever seen a house that? for whatever reason, maybe the owners ran out of money or whatever, but it's just like a construction project and it popped, it stopped and mm-hmm. it just sits there for months, maybe even years. That's what this church was. Mm-hmm. That's what this church was. And I just want to remind everybody, we're not like, we're not, this message series isn't like wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, this is about Autumn Ridge. No, it's not about Autumn Ridge. This is, this is about the church in Sardis. Mm-hmm. But let's remember, and when we look at all of these, all of these letters collectively, we see Jesus's heart for and his mindset toward his churches, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we want to take this, we want to take this seriously. And remember, I, I just want to call our attention back to how we started the message this past weekend. Jesus is always leaning in, and so this is a church that is dead, and I think it's full of people who are not believers. There are a handful of genuine believers, but a lot of the people in the church are not even Jesus followers. They're they're, they are in church. They are not in Christ. Big difference. And Jesus is still really relationally leaning in, calling them to himself. Mm -hmm. That's why this letter is written to begin with. Okay. So there's something a little fuzzy there, because one Mm. of the questions was asking about that of, should we understand what he's speaking about to be a church of people who um, may have a significant portion of the congregation that aren't believers, yes. that they are spiritually dead, that like as you defined death for us in the sense of being spiritually cut off from God. That's right. Uh, but we're a church that wants to welcome people here into our fellowship before mm-hmm. they've necessarily taken that step of belief because right. we want them to hear the gospel here. Mm-hmm. So so what's the difference there? Can you uh, can you can you? Um, shine a light on the difference between being a church that may have a, a big number of non-believers present in it versus being a church that is welcoming to the people who are not yet believers. Well, that's a sign of life, not a sign of death. Okay, the, keep talking. The fact that people who are being drawn to Jesus and they're like, I don't know if I agree with you guys yet, but I'm really, I like being around you. I trust you guys. I want to hear more. That is a sign of life and health, and that's the expectation of the way that churches should function. Remember, Jesus said, "When I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all people to my to, to myself." I'm, and you, you know, there's a lot that we could go in there. That's not necessarily an ecclesiolo- ecclesiological passage. It's not a passage about the church. That's not what Jesus was talking about. But it was this that He's drawing people to Himself, and we are a part of that purpose. It's one of the reasons that I like coming back to Second Corinthians chapter five all the time for our church. We are His ambassadors. We've been given this message of reconciliation. We're saying, we're imploring you, be reconciled to God. He's making his appeal through us, right? So we mm-hmm. are part of that. Uh, if you look at what the Apostle Paul had to say to uh, a collection of churches in the city of Corinth, especially if you read in chapter 14, the expectation is, is that there are people who are there in the gathering of this church who are not believers, and they're checking it out. They're inquirers. They, they want to know more. That is a sign of life and health, mm-hmm. right? The problem is, the problem is, is when people in leadership, the problem is people who are maybe, although they didn't have formal church membership then, but the people who would say, no, we are the church, we are the body of Christ, we are the ones who are with him, that they're actually not even saved. Mm, mm -hmm. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah. 
we would never put someone who's not professing faith in Christ in yeah. any kind of a leadership role. No, no. Mm-hmm. we wouldn't ask somebody who who's like trying to figure out what they believe about Jesus to lead a Bible study. No, to be an elder in the church, to mm-hmm. to lead a ministry team. There's lots of ways to volunteer, engage, participate with us, and do life to, to do life with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's remember what a church is. A church is. I hope that this first word doesn't cause anybody to stumble. It may, but a church is a collection of baptized followers of Jesus in a specific location who are devoted to Jesus, his purposes, and to each other, right? And it gets confusing when we think about like our weekend worship services. We call that church. That's not church. That's something a church does, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this collection of people, right? The problem is in Sardis, the collection of people were spiritually dead. They weren't, they thought, they paraded as though they were followers of Jesus, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. And there was just a small handful of people amongst that collection who truly were. So as as people, individuals, and small groups mm-hmm. are processing the message of this letter, mm-hmm. should they be thinking about it as an individual context or collectively as the church? Is the application different for individuals or the church? Or... Yeah. Or how should they approach this text? It's both and. Okay. It's it's both and. Modern people want to primarily think individually. Modern Western people, which is us, we want to primarily think individually. Uh, people from more traditional cultures want to primarily think collectively, communally. Um, we need both. It is it is both. Um, I really want to challenge us because most of us in our church, not everyone, most of us were raised primarily in a modern Western culture. Let's really kind of bend our thinking to be about a communal mindset, a more collective mindset. How mm-hmm. does this how does this apply to us mm-hmm. collectively? But there also is an individual response. Like there can't be it can't be uh, a group of people, you know, remaining faithful without also the individuals choosing to remain faithful. Mm-hmm. So it's both. But let's just don't think individually. Let's also think collectively. And if we need to dig in into that a little bit more, happy to do so. Well, here's maybe an application way mm-hmm. that that's that plays itself out. Two of the people that wrote in mm-hmm. uh, talked about that the discussion in their group went to the topic of good deeds, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we've seen that coming through mm-hmm. in several of these letters where Jesus is saying, you know, I see your deeds, mm-hmm. or you know, and you mentioned already in in the context of this letter how there were unfinished deeds um, that were mm-hmm. there. Is doing good works part of what it looks like as both an individual and a collective body as the church. Oh, yeah. And, and, oh, yeah, absolutely. And and so, you know, some of the small groups were, were, were processing that a little bit further, mm-hmm. saying, you know, is that part of what our responsibility is as church members? Um, members as part of the body of this church to be involved in in serving activities, to be involved in programs where we're able to express our outreach to our community and world. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna ask people to think back to the masterpiece series, right? So we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece created brand new in Christ Jesus to do what, Svea? To do good works. Would yeah. Mm-hmm. That he prepared in advance for us to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, individually and collectively. 
Now, to be a good Christian, right? I, which I even hate that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hate that phrase, but I use it kind of tongue-in-cheek, a little playfully. But to be about that, living out what that means, who your identity in Christ, the status that you have in Christ, you don't you don't have to be on a ministry team at our church. Like you can engage in ministry and you can be you can be doing wonderful things. It's just super weird to be doing it solo mm-hmm. um, because so much of the New Testament is written in the in the community setting and modern western people we tend to think individually um but there but it's always individual and collective and sometimes it's more primarily collective than it is individual um and so i would just i would and, and we're a body uh and we are we are made in the image of god he's a triune being um god is um god is for all eternity uh, a community of friendship, of of relationship between the Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit, and so uh, ultimate reality is about relationship. And so we, so whatever we're doing, we shouldn't be alone. I'm building up to something. Okay. Our church collectively, organizationally, we create ministry teams as a way to help people engage. Well, it will facilitate it for you because our job as pastors, according to the Apostle Paul, uh, Ephesians chapter four, is to, like my primary job, is not to teach, is not to get out there and do, but to equip followers of Jesus to do the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so we're creating opportunities to help you do that. Some of those things are inside of our church, inward focusing. So things like guest services, things like um, our kids' ministry team. But some of our ministry teams are outward fo- fo- focused. You know, th- some of um, Pastor Otis's team, like Ridgefest, would be an example of that. Volunteering with uh, an area that I love to volunteer with, Nick's Chapter Ministries. So we have all kinds of things. We have many, many, many different teams, uh, but we do that to help people not be alone, to participate in that together. You don't have to do it in our church. Uh, but I would just encourage you uh, not to do it, not to do it alone. So I don't know if that's a little murky, but I'm just trying to say, yeah, you need to be out there doing it. And why wouldn't you do it with the people that you are in community with, mm-hmm. people who are part of your church family? Mm-hmm. That would be like to try and do it in isolation just seems weird. It seems very antithetical mm-hmm. to the Christian life. Yeah. Um, before we pivot from Sardis to mm-hmm. this week's church, Philadelphia, can you just uh, speak pastorally a little bit? Um, I think people have engaged with this series in a wonderful way, mm-hmm. and the series thesis all along has has gotten us thinking about it's not just about knowing the truth but submitting to mm-hmm. it. Yep. And and I think a lot of people actually have been taking that quite seriously mm. and thinking each week, you know, what are the things that each of us, both as individuals and as a church, need yeah. to take from this series? And I think that's probably leading to a lot of the discussions that are going on right now, where people are really wanting to please Jesus in the mm-hmm. way that we act both as individuals and yeah. as a church. Yeah. Can you just uh, speak pastorally for a little bit to uh, to to your reaction both to that and, and, uh, and engage with that, that kind of interaction right now. Yeah. I, I love that people want to please Jesus. I was, I was praying this morning. That's a, that was part of my conversation with Christ this morning and, and in, in prayer and the, you know, knowing the truth doesn't change anything. Submitting to the truth, uh, changes everything that, that can land heavy, but it only really lands heavy if you don't want to act on the truth. 
but it's also liberating. It's like, yes, this is, this is how, mm-hmm. this is how I experience change and this is how I experience better. And I, and I, and I want that. So I'm encouraged that people are, I'm encouraged that people are, are leaning into that. I don't know if this is answering the question in the way that you intended. Um, but let me just riff for a second. There, we're all a mixed bag, right? And so if there's anybody who's like conflicted, it's like, well, I want to serve Jesus and, and I want to be engaged and I, I want to do good deeds, but I feel like I'm kind of doing it for good reasons, but I'm also doing it for not good reasons. I would just say, welcome to humanity. <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> like, I don't know that I have ever done anything in my life purely out of the right reasons. Mm. Even when I do things for the right reasons, I know me well enough that there's a there's a mixture of not so great reasons mixed into that too. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you an example. Um, I think a lot of people know um, that we have a daughter who no one here has ever really met. Um, she and her husband and two boys live in Northern California. We adopted her when she was 17. She came to be a part of our family. And Heather and I were excited to do that. We like weren't looking for any attention when we did that. I lived in a, in a community in Northern California. Um, where and I was a youth pastor at the time, which meant I was always kind of engaged in in local uh, local high schools, um, and I also crossed paths with social workers um, in my in my work as as a youth pastor, and it like never really like those relationships never went anywhere. Like Northern California, it was not. Um, it was not church friendly. Mm-hmm. Let me let me say it that. So like people were super skeptical. Hey, I'm a youth pastor. Like stay away. You yeah. know? It's like, but something happened because my my wife and I we 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 took in our daughter. Um, it started as fostering and became adoption pretty quickly. And then we also for a short time we uh, we 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 fostered a, a little baby girl. Um, and so I would show up, and I kid you not, people would say, "This is Rick. He's a foster parent." And like everything changed mm. and like no other pastor in town had access um, to certain aspects of the community. I was welcomed in with open arms and it became prestigious. Right. And so like, I don't know in your world, maybe being a foster parent isn't prestigious, but it was social cachet in that community in Nevada mm-hmm. County. Gave Cal- you some credibility. Yeah. Like one time there was a, there was a, there was something tragic that happened and I was the school called me and asked me to come in and be there with their students all day long. No one else was allowed. Hmm. No one else was allowed in. And the only reason was because I was a foster parent. So you know what happened? I was started to become kind of impressed with me. Oh. <laughs> and there was this mixture inside of my heart of wanting to do it because of how it made me look. Uh to other people. Yeah, that's a danger. And it's ugly. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. And I had to look at that. Hmm. And I had to get honest with that. I'm doing the right thing, a good thing, a loving thing for some really good reasons. And I also have cancer in there. Mm. And it and I just had to confess that to Jesus. I'm a magnet for nastiness. <laughs> right? I my I just, I, my heart is, I just have an open door to ugliness uh, and it's not like ugliness out there was coming in. It was already inside of yeah. me and there was an opportunity for it to kind of be energized. And, uh, I just had to wrestle that down. So if you ever find yourself like, well, I want to do the right thing, but I know that my motives aren't pure. All right. Welcome to humanity. Mm. <laughs> right. 
And so that's part of that's part of Jesus maturing us and growing us. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in you, refining you. So I, I want you to to hold that thought, yeah. and I'm going to have you keep going on that a little bit as we pivot to the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Uh, you ended, or towards the end of the message, you cast this vision mm-hmm. with this, what Jesus is saying about how he's the one who who holds the keys, who yeah. opens the door, who, yeah. who controls He's the, the boss, outcome. he's the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. You, sometimes we like to use the word sovereignty. Mm-hmm. He's all of that. Yes. And uh, and what wouldn't we do mm-hmm. if we truly believed that Jesus is guaranteeing mission success yeah. in, in whatever he's directing us mm-hmm. as a church to set out to do? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I want to start with this question is because, you know, flowing out of what you were just saying about just recognizing the cancer that lives within each mm-hmm. of us because we are humans. Sure. Um, there was a, a question that was asked in that saying, uh, I love this idea about Jesus guaranteeing us mission success, and so what wouldn't we do? And yet, uh, this person says, I know myself well enough, though, to know that even if I believed we'd have success, I think things like my own comfort or laziness or apathy or other temptations might still get in the way of that success. So how do we deal with these kinds of sins? I feel like I could have written that in. Mm. (laughs) Man. So what's the question? <laughs> Seriously, what, what is the what is so the question? So how do we deal with that? How do we how do we confront that reality that that sometimes we can recognize that our own character flaws could get in the way of what Jesus is trying to do through us? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, I, I I do have it. I do have an answer. Well, I think starting with acknowledging it is a huge first step. There you go. It's kind of like what you were saying uh, a little while ago about recognizing signs of life, that if you're concerned about it, that's a sign of life. Yeah. So uh, you're a mom. Mm -hmm. You're not just a mom. I'm now a grandma, too. You're now a grandma, too. Is that what you... What do you go by? So far, grandma. Grandma? We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm embracing it. You never know what the... But, uh, Not that that can be my new nickname from you, though. No, 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 no. Uh, there's one person in this world who can call me grandma. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> I'm, we're answering the question. Hang with me. I'm not just like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not being evasive. I okay. promise you, we're answering the question. So you got, you've got lots of time logged serving children. Mm-hmm. Did you always want to? Oh, I hope they're not listening right now, but no, there were days that was really, really tough. So how'd you navigate that? You just keep doing what you're doing because yeah. it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Were there were there ever times that you that you found yourself wondering, am I even doing the right thing? Like, what if I'm breaking them? <laughs> like, what if instead of saving for college, I should be saving for therapy? The, the question should be instead, is there ever a day I didn't okay. have that thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so sometimes it's helpful to think about something that's different but kind of similar and shed shed light. Think about like if this person was a uh, was was a was a mom or a dad or uh, ever had a relationship where you're investing in, in somebody else. Well, what about the times that it challenges your comfort? Mm-hmm. What do you do then? Mm-hmm. You know, the the answer isn't the answer is never um, think about. Um, how you want people to see you. The answer isn't even what's right and what's wrong. 
The answer is remembering who do you love, mm-hmm. right? And so in those moments, in those moments where um, you're serving a kid in the middle of the night and you just want to be asleep, why are you doing it? It's because you love them, mm-hmm. right? Why do you give up your comfort? Why do you sacrifice your comfort? It's because you love them. Um, if you've ever ca- cared for an aging parent or an aging spouse or someone dear to you who is ill, right? Why do you do that? Mm-hmm. Cause you remember you that you love them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you remember how much they love you. It's so I'm going to sound like a broken record and maybe I am. Um, it's okay. If it's a good record, <laughs> I just remember your love for Jesus and his love for you. Yeah. Just meditate on that. Yeah. Just meditate on that. I really, I, I don't want to give away too much about this, this weekend, this coming sermon, but this is what I'm thinking of. I don't think there's any, I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first letter we read is to a church that has lost their love. The last letter that we read is to a church that's lost its purpose. Mm. It's love and purpose. When we remember that, you got everything you need. Why would you ever stand up to someone and say, ah, I love you? We don't allow that here. Mm. It's because you know your purpose and your heart's full of love. Why would you, why would you endure when things are hard? Because you're because your heart is full of love and you know that you are loved and you know your purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just love and purpose. When you got those two things, you got all you got all that you need. And so what I would just say is, yeah, I love my comfort and I hate it when my when my comfort is challenged. Here's kind of the cool thing. Almost never in life is is that um, do we have to give up all of our comfort at once? But there are moments where we have to choose something that's bigger than ourselves or our comfort. And we just take it just take it one moment at a time. And the way that we're kind of prepared is nurturing and cultivating that relationship with Jesus by being with him, remembering his love for us, mm-hmm. stoking our love for him. And that doesn't happen in isolation. I mean, if you really read the trajectory of the New Testament, it, that happens together. And our responsibility is to fan the flame mm-hmm. of each other's love and devotion for Christ and to help each other remember how much we are loved by Christ. Um, professor I had in college said God's love often has human fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. We're reminded of it and we experience it together. So just don't be alone. Yeah. Just don't be alone. Someone who wrote in uh, was really resonating with a lot of the, the imagery mm-hmm. in this particular message and uh, and appreciated things like focusing a little bit more on what it means for God to give us a test and also give us a crown. Mm-hmm. And, and as I'm hearing you speak right now, I'm hearing elements of both of those coming through okay. about, about sometimes... Like, as you said in the message, the test isn't a, a pass-fail, are you good enough or not good enough, but rather something that's revealing our character. Yeah. And it does seem like... Our character and our allegiances. Mm-hmm. Like, the, this prior question is is someone who's wrestling with that, of, mm-hmm. of how do I feel like my character is being revealed in this, in, in a positive way, you know, and is it an opportunity to grow yeah. in that? Remember, again, remember how we started... This, the, the sermon this past week, Jesus is always leaning in. 
And so when there's a time that, you know, our characters revealed, our allegiances are revealed. And if we see something, we're like, oh, you know what? Like I was talking about the ugliness in my motives. The fact that Jesus brings that to our attention, that, that, that he is working in our life to bring that to our attention is a sign that he loves us because mm. he's helping us. He's helping us grow Yeah. because in him is found the abundant life. And John chapter 10, Jesus said, the thief, he's talking about Satan, he comes to, to kill, to steal, um, and to, listen, I've come to give you life in its fullest. I've come to give you the abundant life. He comes to, to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come to give life in its fullest. Jesus wants us to have the abundant, full life, a life full of joy. I cringe, and I know there are people who like to use this. There's a guy that's more invested in your holiness than your happiness. And I'm like, ah, I think that's stupid <laughs> because happiness and joy and thriving and fulfillment is found in being with him and alignment mm-hmm. with him and holiness. Guys cares about your holiness because he cares about your happiness. Mm-hmm. About true happiness. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to envision an abundant life yes. that's lacking yes. happiness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to pick. <laughs> you don't have to pick because joy, happiness, delight, thriving, abundant fullness is found in him. And so all the time he's kind of like raising it to the surface, helping us see it is because he wants us to experience something that's that's better. That's why the imagery is often used of refining precious metals like gold or silver. The way that you the way that you refine it is you heat it up in, in liquid state and the impurities come up to the surface and you scrape it out and what remains is what's most valuable. That's what God is doing in our lives mm-hmm. and that is a gift mm-hmm. because he loves us. Mm-hmm. It's not always fun mm-hmm. and it doesn't always feel great. But anyone in here who's ever invested in someone who's much younger than them, right? You engaged in things like like discipline or coaching or whatever because you wanted them to experience a better life. And if you just left them as they were and didn't engage them with some of the ugliness in their life, you knew that it would harm them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus loves you too much to do that. Yeah. He takes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are because he loves us. That's, that's a, a great thing, and maybe it helps to unlock a little bit of what's behind. <clears throat> Another question from mm-hmm. this text, uh, right after in verse 8, where it talks about this church having a little strength, mm-hmm. it says, yet you've kept my word mm-hmm. and have not denied my name. Mm-hmm. And someone was asking if you would just elaborate a little bit more on what that means to, to keep Jesus' word. Sure. And, you know, I'm a pastor, which means I'm a generalist. And I hope generally that I'm helpful. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not, a, I'm not a language expert. I'm not a New Testament expert. I'm not a historical expert. But as I'm reading this, this is what, this is what I understand it to mean. Uh, you have kept all the things that I've said. And you stay true to who I am. Mm-hmm. You, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And they did. Mm-hmm. They've kept his commandments and they've honored who he is because they are like him. I think that's what's going on. Nice. Uh, we had another really fascinating question that came out of some of the words uh, that was in here asking mm-hmm. about in uh, in chapter in this letter in verses twelve and thirteen um, that there are places where Jesus is speaking, yeah. but he keeps talking about my God yeah, it you know, super in the weird. temple of my God that yeah. will write on them the name of my God will write on the name of the city of my God. Yeah. You know, Jesus is God, so why is he saying my God here? It almost sounds like he's saying no, he's not God. 
it, it's confusing in the yeah. way that that's written, right? So yeah. can you... Uh, Let's talk about that next week. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, we're out of time. Let, let, me, let me remind <laughs> everybody, how did how does this start? These are the words of him who holds the... Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped to... I was reading the wrong verse. Yeah. I, I went ready? to Sardis. Let me look at Philadelphia. These are yeah. the words of him who is holy and true. That is a claim of deity. Mm. Now, we may not see it that way through kind of our American eyes, but for those who grew up Jewish, they would... Jesus is claiming to be God, mm-hmm. but then he's talking about my God, and then how does it end? Uh, it ends the way that every letter ends. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're seeing an expression or a snapshot of the Trinity, and there have been numerous times throughout these letters that Jesus has made a direct claim to deity, and 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 if we go back to if we were to study Revelation chapter one, um, which we which we really didn't study, we just kind of jumped into to chapter two and three. Jesus makes a direct claim to to deity; he is God. And we, the word Trinity didn't exist yet, right? There there was that word did not exist to try to capture that God is one in being and three in persons. Jesus saying, "I'm God, the Father is God, the Spirit is is God." Not three distinct gods, but three but three in one. We're, we're seeing as a snapshot of the Trinity, not of the Trinity, not Jesus saying, I'm not God, it's, it's he who's God. It's where we're seeing an affirmation of all, all three as being God. So to clarify or say another way, what you're suggesting is that we could understand that for him to be saying, um, you know, in the temple of my father That's or right. in the name of my father. It's yeah, not different th- from how he spoke in the Gospels. I can understand where it's confusing because sometimes God is used as a synonym for the father and many times it's not. Mm-hmm. This is one of those times that the usage is synonym for for the Father, mm-hmm. who is God, and yep. Jesus is God, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is God. What we're seeing is an expression. We're seeing an expression of the Trinity in this letter. Well, I think we've gotten through the majority of the questions. There are a lot Thank of questions. you to everyone who who wrote in. We love engaging with questions, That's right. and and, That's right. uh, and we also love engaging with questions that don't necessarily have to be processed on the podcast. You know, people yeah. should always feel free mm-hmm. to to come to any of the pastors and and talk about content mm-hmm. or, or things that they're working through in sure. their own mind. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the best parts of our job mm-hmm. <laughs> to get to do that. Uh, so thank you to everyone who who wrote in. Uh, but I want to just ask you one more thing about this particular message, okay. uh, because I just really enjoyed the emphasis on that even a church that feels like we're lacking strength mm-hmm. is strong because of who we have, yeah. not what we have. That's right. And uh, and then that's that unexpected message that came through this week, that a church might be strongest when it's weak. Yeah. And, and I like that because why would we ever be afraid of anything that we're currently walking through or might face in the future yeah. if we can just hang on to knowing who we have, who we have in Christ, and uh, and that he makes us strong yeah. to face anything that's coming through. Do you want to just riff on that a little bit more, on this God who sees us? This How can God? I do better than what you just said? <laughs> He's with us. He loves us. He is for us. He, he, he sees us, and we have him, and he has us. Mm. And... I get it. So I just, just talk as a pastor um, real, real quick. I've given, I've given my life, my adult life, to, to serving um, in the church, uh, serving this church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is tempting to want to always have the strategy 
and know the way forward. And, and if you're in leadership, you love problem solving. Like I love solving problems. Um, but I'm not just, I'm not just a, like a leader, right? And you're not just a leader and everyone who's listening. We're not just in a church. We're not just in an organization. We are in Christ and we are following him and we want to join him and what he's about to change the world. Mm-hmm. That is so, so much bigger than any of us. Mm-hmm. And what kind of story do we want to tell? Do we want to tell the kind of story where we're like, you guys were so smart and you guys figured it out and you guys raised enough money and you guys were eight. Do we want to tell that story? Do we want to be the center of the story? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to, do we want this to be the story? Look at what God did through and with this church. Yes, that one. Only God, the only explanation, the only explanation is that it's God. Yeah. That is a, people are drawn to that because they can see him. Like if it's, if it's our wealth, if it's our resources, if it's our intellect, then I guess we're trying to draw people to us, which listen, I'm not. Don't come to me. Don't be disappointed. That's very end. disappointing. Yeah. But if what's happening is bigger than us and can't be explained by us, people see Jesus more clearly. Man, I want to be. I want to be a part of that. Yeah. So. Well, that's that sign of health, right? Yeah. Of if if what you're seeing is something that's yeah. drawing you to the love of Jesus yeah. and wanting yeah. and inspiring you to want to love Him more yeah. and to love others in the mm-hmm. way that He did. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful, healthy, alive kind of thing. I heard a pastor say one time something along these lines: "You're you're never going to pray for for something bigger than you believe is possible." Hmm. And I guess, and I I still feel really challenged by that. And. Maybe I'll ask our congregation that and the this kind of question this week is what do you really believe is possible? Hmm. Because if it's what we can achieve, what we can figure out, what we can afford, well in a church like this, there's a lot of smart, high capacity people. We can do some stuff. But that's a It'll still be too small of a box. But if it's, huh, what I believe is possible, whatever Jesus wants to make possible, Mm. that's going to be wild. It's going to be awesome. And that'll be a story worth telling. Mm. Let's do that. I think your mind is going with mm-hmm. all kinds of great things for the, the message this weekend. We should yeah. end here so you can go <laughs> all right. Go pray and get writing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Thanks for this conversation, Rick. Thanks.